Romans chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 1. I'll put it up on the screen and I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. Well, that'd be worth coming to church for right there. That's just one verse, ladies and gentlemen. That is awesome. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny. Tyranny. Why did I see tyranny? (laughs) I got to get more sleep, guys. (laughs) Brutal tyranny. At the hands, hey man, are you sure this is the church we should be at today? (laughs) No, not sure. Okay, tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I'll laugh about that all day, if you don't mind. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He personally took on the human condition. Jesus personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. This is good. This is good. The law code, the Ten Commandments, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a Band-Aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. So rules, regulations, uh, I, I, listen, I appreciate that you enjoy the Ten Commandments on the wall of schools, but we don't need to fight for that. There's no power in keeping ten rules. I didn't think there'd be a lot of amens, but it's true. Okay, uh, we don't need band-aids on the walls. We need a savior who can change us from the inside out. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace. Ooh, I like that word simply right in front of embrace. Simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Now, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. Whoa, that doesn't sound like 2021 in social media. Measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us into the open, into a spacious, free life. I'm hoping this is what describes your Christianity. Focusing on on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, well, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. 
Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about, but you who welcomed him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. God's terms. God's terms. Well, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Wow. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. So here's the best thing to do, church home. Give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Let's just keep reading just for a little bit longer. I'm almost done. This resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave-tending kind of lifestyle. It's an adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and kids. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Jesus goes through if we go through the hard times with him, then certainly we're going to go through the good times with him. And I will drink to that. Why or how we complicate that? I want to talk about how we complicate what I just read. Now, what I just read hopefully shoots adrenaline into your spiritual state. Hopefully it's like fresh air. Hopefully it's like a deep breath. Hopefully, it's, um, well, it's the difference between Los Angeles air and Seattle air. (laughs) Breathe deeply, Seattle, breathe deeply. (laughs) Clean, clear air. But, But why do we complicate it, or how do we complicate it so much? On my drive into church this morning, I had an interesting experience. I decided, and and, and honestly, long before I intended to use this in the sermon, I got up this morning very early. I don't want to brag, but it was approximately 5.20 a.m. I don't want to brag. I don't want to get into it, but I was up early praying for you while you were sleeping. Um, It's like, all right, relax. It's like the one day a week I get up early. Okay, so... I'm up at 5.20 a.m., and here's the determination I made, other than serving Jesus, loving God, is I decided I'm going to drive the speed limit to church today. <laughs> now, I, do I always drive the speed limit? The answer to that is no. Okay, it's no. And I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to lie in church. I'm a man of God, okay? I'm on a, a church platform. So no, I don't always... Now, now... Dr. Perriman, I want you to know, I drive usually within five to 10, all right, of the speed limit. I try to like, you know, keep, keep, keep it there. Um, but today I was like, no, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm going to drive 60 miles an hour on I-90, not 60 in a residential, okay? I had to clarify. Some of you are like, what? 
this is outrageous. Kids, get your Bibles. We're leaving. Um, no, but I decided, and, and I had the weirdest experience. I had the weirdest experience. I felt like I was losing. <laughs> no, I'm so serious. This is Miss Tammy. This is a real thing. I'm driving. First of all, I'm in the slow lane. That's a thought. It's the right one, not the left one, right? And, and, and I'm left-handed, so I was born for the fast lane, but I'm wearing a red leather jacket. I was made for the fast lane. You're like, relax, bro. Okay, relax. All right. But so I'm in the slow lane and I decide I'm just going to cozy in. I, I don't know. I had a handful of minutes on I-90 to get here today. I'm going to pull in right behind this like U-Haul truck and I'm just going to cruise. I'm listening to worship music. I'm praying for you while you sleep. That's why I'm the pastor, you know, and I'm just cruising in the church, no big deal. I'm fine. I don't always have to win. Life's not a continual competition. It's not a big deal. Whew. Wow, they were going fast. Whew. How about you slow down? It is amazing how I became Ranger Rick immediately, right? I used to be like sexy, fast, speeding Steve. Now I'm Ranger Rick, you know, and I'm like, well, all right, all right. Hope the cops get that guy. You know, like now I'm going 60. But you know what's wild? As each car passed me, I got the sinking sensation. I am being so serious right now. I'm losing. And I'm like, oh man. You know, and then you, so I typed in Google Maps. You know, it's like a 17 minute drive, relax, Judah. And I, and are you like me? Like, I, I know where I'm going now when it comes to this city. Thank you, Jesus, okay? Now, I still only know I-90. When you say I-5, I'm like, which way does that go? I know 90, I know 90, okay? I went to high school in Issaquah, relax, okay? But um, don't tell me 91st Street on 7th, take a turn on 8th. I'm like, is there a Dairy Queen? Is there a, is there a Starbucks? Which Starbucks cornered, right? So I do monuments, not street names, okay? That's the way I'm wired, but I know 90. So I don't need directions to get here. Okay, I've been coming to this church. We started remodeling it when I was 18 years old. I'm 42, okay? So this used to have burnt orange pews, okay, back when we, anybody here for the remodel? Anyone? The entire prayer team is about to raise their hand. There they go, okay? <laughs> They're all, okay, we, Leeson, Storsley, I see you. Leeson was here for the remodel as well, okay? And we remodeled this place. So I've been coming to this building for a long time. The point is I don't need directions, but I turned on the directions so I could time myself. I don't have a problem. But I'm like, 17 minutes, and I'm thinking to myself, what if I get it down to 16 or 15? This is what I do. It's not good. So I Googled it, and I realized, like, I'm losing time. It started out at 17, now it's saying 19 minutes. I am losing, right? I can't lose as I go to church. These cars are passing me. I am losing. And I started to laugh because I got to tell you, just like this morning at my house when I decided I'm going to go the speed limit, I think we come to church and we say to ourselves, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust him. This is my week. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to stress out. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be worried. I'm going to go to my job. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to be the happiest employee. In fact, I bet halfway through the week, somewhere around Wednesday, hump day, okay, someone's going to stop me and go, what is it about you? You're electric with joy. And you know what I'll tell them? I'll tell them, it's the Lord. <laughs> right? 
And about Sunday evening happens, God forbid the Hawks lose, which they won't. (laughs) Sunday night, right? You went to church on Sunday morning. You watched in your living room with your neighbors on Sunday morning. But just give it to Sunday night. And you're already stressed. Already raising your voice at your kids. Someone like, I would never raise my voice at my kids or speed. Okay, well, I do. Relax. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we say, I'm, I'm not speeding today. Nope. I'm going 60 today. I'm going to just trust Jesus today. On this Monday, as I go to work, I'm not going to let things stress me out. As I go, I'm going to be the best barista that this espresso shop has ever seen. No matter who comes in and asks for the weirdest, most exotic coffee orders, because this is Seattle, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to be okay with it, right? But I'll tell you what, it only takes about an hour into work, and here you are, stressed out and angry and frustrated and And here's the issue we're going to put on the table today. Here's here's my, here's my, I can't put the Bible on the ground. I still struggle with that one. My dad's always like, don't you put the word of God on the ground. So we won't do that. But here's, which is so funny, it's leather and paper, but we're like, don't, don't put it. Okay. Here's what we're going to put on the table. There's a little hair there. Here's what we're going to put on the table. Why? In everything that's going on in the world right now, which is a lot, in case you haven't noticed, here's what I want to put on the table. Why as Christians do we seem to share the same emotional disposition as everybody else? I just want to ask the question. And I've been asking it since I flew down to Miami and preached four sermons. Hopefully you've watched some of them. But this is, this is I, 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 we're making this so hard. Why are we just as anxious just as fearful, just as worried, just as divisive, just as opinionated as everybody else. Let's put that on the table and just see if we can unpack it a little bit. What is going on with Christians? In fact, some would argue that the Christians, some, not you, never you, not you church home. Some Christians are more divisive more opinionated, more worked up, more frustrated than people who don't know Jesus. And here's one of the reasons, I think. We come to environments like this and not too dissimilar to me this morning, and we decide I'm not going to speed. Or let's put it in Christian language. Are you ready? I am going to walk in the spirit today, and I am not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Was that spiritual enough for you? Didn't that sound good? Aren't you happier now that I know stuff like that is the pastor? Like that's a quote, direct quote from scripture. Where? Ask Chelsea. She's really good with locations in the Bible. I'm good with phrases. And then I go to her, where is that? And she's like, John 3.16, honey? And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that one. But the point is, I think we set out to trust Jesus and then life happens, right? That's what Mike Tyson says. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Everybody says they're not going to speed until 14 semis pass you on I-90 just trying to get here. And you're like, Enough is enough. 
I was made for the fast lane. And that did happen, and I did get here about a minute. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. That's Brett. He's a good man. Right? And you're just like, ah, forget it. I'm going to tell my boss what I really think. You know what? I'm going to tell this person just walked into our shop, you have a rotten attitude. And all of the sudden, you can't tell us apart from anybody in this country. We are, only thing tell us apart is our red leather jackets. It's like, Judah, are you going to mention the jacket the whole sermon? The prayer team got me. They got me. But I... I want the righteousness, peace, and joy that the Bible describes as the characteristics and distinctives of the kingdom of God. So my question is, where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's that? Remember that part we just read where it says, spacious, free, open life? Where's that? You know, I miss things like confidence. I had a friend recently called me and say, I loved your sermon this week, and I always love these phone calls. Oh, thank you. Tell me more. I'm kidding. Um, Not really. But he's like, it was your confidence I liked the most. And I was like, what about the content? And he's like, no, 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 listen. He said, I don't see a lot of people with confidence right now. A lot of people unsure right now. I mean, none of us know what to do with COVID. In case you think you do, you, you, you don't. People with the greatest intel in this country don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And the fact that you're wearing your mask, I applaud. The fact that you're not wearing your mask, I don't know if I'm supposed to applaud, but I just think you're all wonderful and I love you all the same. Okay, so mask, no mask, unmask our children, mask our children. I don't know, but I love you. (laughs) And whatever makes you feel great, I'm down for, okay? Stay home, watch, watch church on TV, awesome too, okay? I'm all in. It's tough to be a public speaker these days. Thanks for wearing your mask. People not wearing their mask. I don't, that's ridiculous. I don't believe in masks. Thanks for not wearing your mask. Thanks for being human. That's where I'm at, okay? But I just, I want to be who God has called us to be. So Romans 8 introduces or recalls again for the believer what we have in Jesus and what he has provided for us. I want to make three observations just in the remaining moments we have. Jesus, Scripture declares in Romans chapter 8 that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 makes it abundantly clear that the work has been done. My first observation of why or how we complicate our Christianity and we lose the the distinguishing characteristics like peace and joy is, number one, we, we, we still think we can save ourselves. We still think we can save ourselves. We still think we can save ourselves. We are still talking like we're saving ourselves. We still preach like we're saving ourselves. We sing songs like we're saving ourselves. I'm going to ruin my third point, but we are just really good at focusing on ourselves. 
I've said this before, but I am alarmed right now in our country, and I love this country. The most listened to sermons are not the sermons about Jesus. They're the sermons about you, because that's where we're at. I want preachers to tell me what I can do to improve my life. Well, Jesus didn't need to die and get up from the grave for me to tell you stuff like that. I could tell you to open doors for people. I could tell you to be nicer to your neighbor. I could tell you as the holidays approach, you know what, even if you don't believe in trick-or-treat, just get some candy and hand it out in the neighborhood, for goodness sake. And I can tell you a lot of tips on how to be nice. It's things like eye contact. Things like asking people questions about their lives and not just talking about yours the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, I, could, I mean, we could talk about social cues. We could talk about how to compliment people and encourage each other, but, but I thought we were here as the church of the living God whose firm foundation is that there is only one person who's ever lived who claimed to be God, knew no sin, therefore took on the judgment of our sin, took on the death penalty, but predicted that even though he would die three days later, he would do the unthinkable, he would beat the unbeatable, and he would beat death. He would appear to hundreds of people before he levitated into the clouds, and by definition, this planet called Earth would never be the same again. Now, we either believe that or we don't. If we don't, let this become a hall for TED Talks. But if we do believe that there once was a man and is a man who is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form and he died in your place and mine and he beat death, hell, and the grave to prove that everything he said about himself was true and that he is God, then if you don't mind, I would like to exclusively focus on that. Because that happens to be the truest thing I know now. Am I like, am I, are you and I like, I have found that there are less truth than ever before. So if you don't mind, I'm going to stick to the one I know. <laughs> and the truth I know is Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Your Sunday school teacher is probably taught you better theology than most preachers. You could just take that home. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then you could just sit in that for a second. You'd be like, now, how, how can he love me? Because I was born in sin. How, how is he not repulsed by my sin? It's because he became your sin so that you could become the righteousness of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells. We still think we can save ourselves. If we didn't think we could save ourselves, we would celebrate other stuff in church. We would. We would celebrate other stuff. But we don't celebrate brokenness in church. We don't celebrate brokenness in church. In fact, typically, if somebody comes to you in church and shares brokenness, we go to lunch later and talk about it. Hey, dude, baby, I, I don't want to, you know, he said not to tell nobody, but you're my wife. I just want you to know, did you hear about Bob? Did you hear about Bob? No, but, oh, you know, his wife left him. It's bad. Now, I, they never really did spend enough time together, though. I'll tell you something about Bob. 
Bob always had a wandering eye. Do you know what I mean, baby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is your fish good? My fish is good too. You know, and what I, some of the concerns I had for Bob in the early 90s is Bob was watching rated R movies all of the time. And I knew that that would hurt his marriage. Do you know I once heard Bob watch some of the Game of the Thrones? <laughs> Did you know that? Sweetie, you may not know this, but there's nudity in the Game of the Thrones. So, we need to pray for Bob. It don't sound like you praying for Bob. Sounds like Bob's failure is your success. It sounds like Bob's marriage falling apart make you feel better about yours. We don't celebrate brokenness. We celebrate moralism. We celebrate success. Wait a minute. We celebrate what everybody else celebrates. Hey, baby, you hear about Bob? No. He sold his company for millions. Wow. You know, we know what I always loved about Bob. Bob always was a man of faith. And I tell you about Bob, honestly, baby, I, the one thing, you know, a lot of the guys want to sell, a lot of gals and guys, they want to sell their company for big money, but they haven't yielded, they haven't. You know what, Bob? Bob's a tither, babe. Did you know that? <laughs> Bob always gave 10%. In fact, I checked the giving records, babe. I'm the pastor. And I have noticed it from, from the very beginning of City Church in 1992, you know, Bob has never missed tithing. And I am telling you, because he tithes, God commanded a blessing. And that's what God has blessed Bob. So who saved Bob? Sounds like Bob. It sounds like tithing saved Bob. It sounds like church attendance saved Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no different than the Boys and Girls Club. This is no different than a football team. This is no different than a basketball team. You get what you put in. You get out what you put in. Yesterday, a professional athlete was interviewed after a sporting event, and the athlete said, Here's what I'm focused on. I'm focused, my wife and I, our commitment is that, that we do our best and God will do the rest. And I stood up and I said, babe, that's what's wrong. This is still our theology. We still think that God blesses those who work hard. Because we're Americans. And if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. I told the football players yesterday, you can ask Jonathan Rainey. I said, listen, that's not how this works. I said, gentlemen, no offense, but we can't tell young kids in America if they just do what you did, they'll make the NFL. Not true. Not true. Sometimes it's time and chance. Sometimes it's an opportunity. Sometimes you had the, a recruiter came to see somebody else play and you happened to play well and they recruited you and you went to college and then before you know it, somebody heard you got drafted in the third round before you know, bam, blessing to God because I worked hard. Be careful now. Did you work hard for your birthday? Did you work hard for your eyebrows? Did you work hard for your two big toes? What else did you work hard for? Did you work hard? Did you teach your body how to relieve itself? I mean, for real. 
How did you even know when you needed to go number one or number two, or God forbid, number three? <laughs> you don't even know. You just got to go. I mean, how far do we have to take this logic? It just don't add up. But we keep telling ourselves, I'm going to Disneyland because I just won the Super Bowl because I worked hard enough. Man, please. We all appreciate your hard work. But you also had time, chance, right birth, right continent, right country, really super fast, so nobody taught that. Right? I love these coaches. Coaches get all the... I'm like, coach, you weren't the one that made that guy run a four-flat 40. That was God. Okay, DK is from God. Let's just establish that, okay? We got, we got some God guys on our team. It's like, DK, I don't know, God! <laughs> right, like, come on now. Are we still doing that? Are we still up in here telling everybody that Bob is cursed? Because Bob watches nudity? Or Bob is blessed because Bob tithes? Are we still doing that? Or are we here to celebrate the only one who can save us? Because everybody wants to talk about why, why bad things happen to good people. You know what I want to talk I want to talk about why good things keep happening to bad people. Because that's your story, and that's my story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to say some really good stuff keeps happening for this really bad guy. And it teaches me every day that I am not my savior. So, 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 so Jesus gets his disciples together in Matthew 16, and he says, um, he says who, do you, who do you guys say that I am? Who do you guys say that I am? And I think it kind of gets quiet. And then the oldest guy of all 12, right? His name's Peter. He always is talking. So he's like, well, I think you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. The son of the living God. Now, 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 now. You all hear this and you're like, at least, you know. At least Peter gave an answer. But imagine physically a human being is sitting in front of you, and he says, who do you think I am? And you go, I think right now, physically, tangibly, and literally, I think you are everything God is in physical form in front of me. That's why Jesus says, Peter, you didn't get this from reading a book. The Spirit of God showed you this. <laughs> I think it's really cool and cute how we, um, like, like uh, Billy Graham, for instance, so many people, in fact, uh, the Nordstrom, I think, I think I'm remembering, Joey, was it you? Yeah, you got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And I love how people are like, he, he found God, she, she found God, okay? Nobody finds God, okay? We can barely, you know, find the local gas station to gas up, okay? So no one finds God. But, but you know how we say it, we're like, hey, you know, they... You know, so-and-so made a decision to follow Jesus. Oh, that's amazing. And I still protect free will. But can we talk about sovereignty for a moment? Peter, 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 flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, he showed you that. 
How did Peter get that? How did Peter earn that? How did Peter deserve that? There's no mention of that. Insinuating he did nothing of the sort. God was just like, I'll choose this guy. Show him. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus gets excited because he's like, Peter, God gave that to you. God gave that to you, Peter. And he says, and I want to tell you something. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm only on point one. This might be the only point I get to, so bear with me. Petra and, and Petra, I, I forget how it sounds in the Hebrew, but Jesus says um, on this, he says, I'll call you Peter and on this rock. But when he calls him Peter, he calls him little stone. You are little stone, but on this big stone, I will build my church. Now, uh, most of our church, half of our church is Catholic, so God bless Catholics. No matter what you call yourself, you're welcome here at church home, okay? But what, what happened in Catholicism is we got, we literally were like, oh, we have to have like a Peter. Every, every certain time the church is gonna anoint a Peter. Um, that's not really what the text says. This, this wasn't the institution of a pope. And I, I respect it. I think he's a wonderful man, so it's, it's all good. God is gracious. It's awesome. But this isn't about like who's the next pope. This is actually making this Peter as small as he is. He says, Peter, you're so cute. You're this little random stone, <laughs> a rolling stone, really. And uh, it was funnier than that. All right. So, but he says, on this big rock, I'm going to build my church. I want to remind you who you are. You have a revelation of the big rock, but that doesn't make you the big rock. Right. You are the little rock. And your little rock can do about as much as little rocks do. You know what little rocks are real good for? Skipping. <laughs> hey, Dad, look at this. Oh, it's so little. It might skip over water. You know what big rocks do? They build monuments and edifices and sky-high buildings on Big rocks. Jesus is the rock of the ages. The Bible says when Moses struck the rock and though he did it wrong, the scripture declares, and they drank from the rock and that rock was Jesus. Jesus said, I will build my church. Do you ever wonder what it says when it says and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do you know what that means? Jesus is predicting his death, burial, and resurrection. He's saying even death will not hold me back for I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. If there's anyone here who has predicted beating death and done it, Please come forward for you too, our Savior. For the rest of us, not only have I not overcome death, I'm still afraid of it at times because I've never done it before. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of the last great things that will happen to the church on this earth before Jesus returns is we will be set free from a fear of death. And it will be unprecedented. 
And that day will come when God chooses that day to come, and I'm not sure there's a great mystery there. But he said, I will build my church on this rock, this revelation that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that Jesus Christ is enough, that Jesus plus nothing equals total and complete salvation for all of humanity. Jesus alone, Jesus alone is the Savior. So what is required of you is quite different than maybe what you've assumed. What is required of you don't get caught up in a lifestyle and everything that you've got to do and say and go and act and talk and walk. No, no. What, what is required of you is a broken and contrite heart. What is required of you is it is the little stone for you to say, what can I do but come to you? Say, God, here I am. <laughs> God, here I am. Oh, man. How long are we going to focus on things that won't matter at the end of our life? <laughs> am I the only one? I'm so tired of giving so much of my energy to things that don't matter forever. I'm so tired of trying to save myself. We don't have time to go through it all, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the two other points just because I have another sermon to preach at 11, so, so I'm going to do it. But we, we complicated Christianity because we think we can save ourselves. But we also complicate our Christianity because we like redoubling our own efforts. We like doing that. We like doing that. And here's what's supposed to happen when we worship together. And I'm so serious. And I'm going to try to say this in a way that makes sense to people that are new to this environment so that I don't freak you out with my red leather jacket. But here's the, here's the truth. Um, in settings like this, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You ever heard of that verse? Knowledge puffs up, which is to say the, the, um, the curation of knowledge oftentimes makes someone very self-sufficient and arrogant. They actually think that their knowledge can save them. They think their knowledge makes them better than you. Do you know who's plagued by this? Christians. We think the knowledge of Jesus Christ makes us better than other people. We think the knowledge of Jesus Christ is what saves us. No, no. It's not knowing about Jesus. It's not knowing the Hebrew Bible well. It's, have you come before Jesus and admitted that you are broken and you are weak and you are impotent in any way, shape, or form when it comes to saving yourself? So, so hold on a second, hold on a second. I gotta read this to you. Wait a second. That, listen to this again. So Romans chapter eight. If God has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Why are we so busy thinking about ourselves? 
Why does how someone vote end conversations for you? So much about ourselves. Why does someone's take on COVID make you angry? So much about ourselves. Why do you think you're better than people? Why do you feel smarter than them? So much about ourselves. I know Jesus. Oh, little stone. Did you think it was you, little stone? Was it you, little stone, that grew legs and arms and found your way to God? Was it you, little stone? Can you say to the big stone, are you honored to have me? (laughs) Is it you, little stone, that thinks you are better than other little stones, when in reality we're all just little stones? Why do you feel your stone is better than another stone? When over and over, just in the passage we've read, there's this overwhelming evidence that the champion is not you. The champion is the big stone. (laughs) Isn't the church where broken people come together and say, can you believe it? Right, can you believe it? (laughs) He saved me. This little random rolling stone that deserved nothing. He chose me. I love the scripture. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. It was my choosing. It was my doing. It was my election. It was my selection. Oh, magnificent stone and rock of the ages. Who are you? You are mindful of of us. And I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I hear the beat of the drum. I'm done. I like thinking about myself. There it is. You know, probably the thing that complicates my Christianity the most is that. I just like it. In fact, I think about myself when I'm not even thinking about myself. I'm a childhood prodigy when it comes to thinking of myself. No one taught me it was God-given. I just think about myself. And you know what's weird? If preachers don't give me opportunity to think about myself, I don't like the sermons as much. Because I want to think about myself. So let's talk about tithing. Ooh, I could tithe, and that'll make me better and different than people. Tell me what else I can do to be different and better and smarter. Who should I vote for, Pastor? What's going to make us different? but you're not different. (laughs) Man, I've been praying prayers, God save them. You know how long I've been, you can just, the the beating of the drum is making me anxious in a weird sort of way. That's not your fault, that's my fault, okay? So, but I'm literally like, I feel the beat. I'm like, I gotta gotta end, I gotta end. (laughs) I'm fine, I'm fine. 
You're like, we need to pray for Judah. Okay, all right. Almost there. I'm so sorry, bro. Not your fault, my fault. Okay. Doom, doom, doom. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm like my, my little new little puppy. You make one little noise. He's like, <laughs> was I the only one? I was, doom, doom, doom. I was like, oh. all right. <laughs> We're in the army of the Lord, but. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I started praying these prayers. Oh, God, save them. And. I don't really pray like that anymore. I, 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 I want to like, um, I am you and you are me and we are, my prayers turn into like, save us. Help us. Help us, God. We're killing each other down here. Help us. Oh God, just a collection of random stones. Do you know what the Bible says? What he does with the church? I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. This is my clothes. They used to, used to be able to see the stones over there. My dad used to talk about them, but we became living stones. And he took these rolling stones and he started to put them together. And he makes the church. But we thought the church was like made of like precious gems. No offense, but you're not a diamond. And Rihanna's wonderful, but you're not a diamond. You're not a diamond. You're just as broken and hurting as anybody else. So I think what I read in Romans 8 is like, is like this. It's this posture that we get in that ends up kind of looking every day like this. believe you love me, man. You're incredible. I just love you so much. And I just want to do my best to love the people that you put in my path or that you put me in their path. I just want to say thank you. And I just, my dad used to, I was one of the first worship leaders here. I don't want to get into my music career. Not right now. But <laughs> My dad used to say, you know, he used to train the church. You know, we need to lift our hands. We need to do this. and We need to say amen. And, and my dad was probably a lot more right than I was. But, you know, you grow up and you just dream about pastoring a church where people are so undone that they're forgiven. And that their sins are covered and that they're still breathing that when music starts or melody begins or harmony, there's just this like, are you kidding me? Last night, and I'm not saying Judah and Chelsea are the greatest model of following Jesus, but last night about 1230, I'm falling asleep. And um, my wife's reading, because she's always reading. I'm always watching ESPN, she's always reading. It's so annoying except that she is reading for both of us, so that's a win. <laughs> she turned her Kindle off, and I noticed that the light was gone, and, and I heard my wife say, we're so blessed, you know? I said, oh, baby, we sure are. And you know, we weren't talking about the house. 
We weren't talking about the Kindle, the fact that that used to be my Kindle because I broke her Kindle because I was mad at her on our 20th wedding anniversary. We didn't talk about that. But that's my Kindle. That's now her Kindle because I have an anger problem. The stuff we were talking about. We were talking about Jesus, man. We're talking about Jesus. I had a friend die in the last two or three days, and his name was Trevor. And first thing I said when I found out that Trevor was gone, I said, Trevor, I'm going to see you again, man. And I don't know how you're processing this life, but I can't do it without Jesus. So I did not come here today to be your perfectly put together local church pastor who preaches a good solid sermon to help you eat your pot roast this afternoon as you watch the Seahawks feast on those people from Tennessee. <laughs> I got to tell you something, man. I read Romans chapter 8. Oh, man, that is me. What kind of God chooses somebody like me and you, forgives us and loves us and saves us and doesn't give up on us? Oh, make no mistake, there is no greater story on earth than the story of the saving power and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is everything you're craving and desiring in this life. And so we pray, God, that you would fill our thoughts today. So pervasive, so permeating is your person. Soak us and saturate us in your reality. Be more real to us than the next air of breath we breathe. For we admit we do not know where to go or what to do, but our eyes are on you. We have not been this way before. We don't know what, what tomorrow will hold, but we are here with you today, and our hearts are filled with a good theme that you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. That you are God, and beside you there is no other. You have no equal, and you have no peer. For you became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we adore you. We focus on you. We sing about you. We talk about you. We, we laugh with you. We will eat with you. We will feast with you. We will listen to you. We will watch you. For it's you, you, the desire of all nations, the hope of the whole earth. We come to you and we give you our passion and we give you our desires and we give you our focus and we give you our attention and we give you our dreams and we give you our nightmares and we give you our sins and we give you our shortcomings and we give you our successes and we give you our past and we lay before you our present and we trust you with the future. You are everything we need and want in this life and we love you. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me?